to go to an old friend. Romans 8. Hallelujah. And when we look here, we're going to kick in at Romans 8 about oh, about the 8th verse or so. The only other chapter we may be in that we turn to will be Romans 6. And I don't think there's any problem finding that. Hallelujah. Well, we begin this teaching actually from Matthew, the 17th chapter. And we found out that Jesus came down from the mountain of transfiguration with James, Peter, and John. And, and while he was up there, he was transfigured. His face shined as light as the sun, and his clothing was as white as light. And his disciples, the three, was absolutely beside themselves. But when they came down, the situation they came in at the foot of the mountain, at the base of the mountain, is the other nine that he had left behind were trying to cast the devil out. And even though they'd been casting devils out before, for some reason they could not get this devil to come out. So when Jesus came into that commotion, because they had tried to do so until they began to draw quite a crowd. And this is what Jesus came into. And the Father threw himself down. He says, I brought him to you, disciples. They could not cast him out. So Jesus, his comment was, you backwards, you perverse generation, how long shall I suffer you? And what he was saying, how long am I going to have to do this for you? You perverse and backwards generation, how long shall I suffer you? How long am I going to have to do this for you? Now why would he say that? If he fully did not intend on us doing so. And he says, bring the child to me. And he bound the devil, he cast him out, and it left him from that hour. Well, then the disciples got him privately, and they asked him, why would he not come out? And what they were saying is when he prayed, they asked him privately. And I'd have done the same thing, because when they were standing in the crowd, the twelve disciples with the multitude, he says, you perverse and backwards generation, how long am I going to have to do this for you? You think I'd yell over the head of the crowd? Why couldn't I cast it out? Because he'd have yelled the answer back over to me because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. For he went on to say, as you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say, to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place. And it said, it would obey you, and absolutely nothing should be impossible to you. Absolutely nothing. For a long time, I missed what was in this chapter. When I understood, finally, that unbelief was the reason that devil would not come out. Unbelief. That was the reason. It finally dawned on me that fasting had something to do with my unbelief. The unbelief, when he labeled it for me and discerned it for me and showed me what kind of unbelief it was, it's some of the worst kind of all. Very deceptive, very, very deceptive kind of unbelief. The kind that puts a ceiling on your life. One year is like the next. Your life doesn't change. 
Sometimes we attain to anointings, we get to a certain place. Nothing changes. A very subtle kind that puts a ceiling on our life. Like one day is like the next, decades turn to generations, generations to centuries. Nothing changes. Till we stand before Jesus in his presence with not even a third of what we could have had. And this is a very deceptive, subtle kind that we don't even know that we have. And what do you base that on? Why? The other nine had been casting devils out previously. Why would they have asked Jesus, why don't this devil come out? If they already knew. They didn't know. They had been casting them out before. They didn't know why it wouldn't come out. But he labeled it for them. He said, I'll tell you why it wouldn't come out. Because of your unbelief. Many, many preachers equate fasting only to deliverance ministries. Jesus didn't say that. He said, you see that mountain? You could say to that mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it absolutely would obey you. But the stipulation here was if you ever learned how to deal with this particular kind of unbelief. Then he went on to say, how be it? analyzing the entire situation. This kind cometh not, but by prayer and fasting. Because it was in that order, so many preachers say, well, I'm a teacher, I'm a pastor. You know, I, I, I'm a government's gift. I, I'm not called to deliverance. So why, why should I fast? I'm not called to deliverance. Let me tell you something about the reward system when we get to heaven what we be known for forever and ever isn't limited to the mighty apostle and the mighty prophet. His rewards doesn't work like that. The way his reward works is in your calling. You took all that you had and you did all that he told you. You get all the reward he has. That's the way the reward system works. So they equated fasting with just deliverance because of the sequence of these scriptures. But the primary reason that devil would not come out is because of their unbelief. Because he said also, you could say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, deal with the unbelief, the mountain would go. He said, but how be it analyzing the situation they were caught in? He said, this kind cometh not. Well, if unbelief's the problem, then fasting has something to do with unbelief. He said it comes not but by prayer and fasting. Well, you and I understand what prayer has to do with unbelief because we know that edification comes from praying in the Holy Ghost. We know the presence of God comes into our temporary situations at the now presence from worship. We know we know that we can change things from speaking His Word. So we know what prayer has to do with unbelief. It's a hard thing to understand. The hard thing is what fasting has to do with unbelief. What in God's green earth would go without eating have to do with anything? 
And what would that have to do with anything? Fasting, the Bible calls it. What? Well, I can tell you this about that subtle, deceptive kind of unbelief that sealings you. You accept everything else this world has to, and you let the call, you let your mission, you let your mandate go. It's very deceptive kind. Just like the disciples, a lot of times, we don't know why. One thing I know about Jesus, he'll never outline a problem like this. Never. Without going on to give me the answer. I knew somewhere in these scriptures, I knew, I knew that my answer lie there. I knew it. And the illustration we gave Sunday, when we promised you we would go on with your death, is if they brought ten kids in under five years old, and all of them were in wheelchairs, all of them's body was in prison, their body wouldn't work. You know how active a child's spirit is. Almost at a command, almost at change of thought, those little bodies are so full of energy, they run back and forth picking toys up. I can't even begin to fathom a little spirit in prison. He can't do that. He just sits there. Some of their worlds are dark. Some are dark with no hearing. Some of them are all twisted. Some of them are quite well in their mind, intellectually. That their senses are gone, they're shut down, their body's shut down, they can't communicate with this world out here. What kind of world is that? If I was born like that, I would to God. I was born into a family who knew they were sons and knew their rights to go in and get my miracle for me. Don't just leave me there year after year. Face it. Get it for me. I don't know how. Well, it's certainly a deceptive area. As most of us are quite content to fill the church up with them every Sunday just to see them go home the same way year after year. And in our language, and know the whole time we have a covenant. In our language, we have a covenant. In our language, that covenant delivered us to sonship. We have more than a covenant, much more. Well, what would you do? I'd go pray for them all. Nothing happened. Then Jesus come in. Jesus come in in his glorified body. I want you to know he wouldn't tell me anything different than the answer he gave to his disciples for their unbelief. You think he'd say anything different to me? Everything you need's here. The canon of the scripture's finished. They're not writing anymore to the Bible. You can find your answer here. And I wanted my answer for unbelief because I don't intend on staying on the level I'm on. I don't intend on it. But I'd pray for him and Jesus would come in and I, I, I'd finally get to talk to him. You know, I'd get my list out of my pocket. So I've been meaning to ask you this question. Here's the top of them. It's excuse me. Excuse me, my brother. But I, I've got to go do something. So he'd go over and empty all the wheelchairs. And he'd come back to me. And I'd say, that was my question. 
Why didn't you do that when I prayed? Now, do you think he'd give me any other answer than what he had already gave them? Do you think so? Do you think he'd gave me any other answer? But he'd look me right in the eye and say, Mr. Roberson, it's not that I didn't want to. What did I do when I got here? I healed him. It's not that I don't want to. Well, then why didn't you do it when I touched him? You think he'd give me any other answer than he gave his 12? See, that was a, a tough devil. It was a deaf and dumb devil. See, what you'd call a generational devil. It came to him very young. He grew up in the family. Hard to break those kind. But do you think he'd give me a different answer? He'd look at me and he'd say, because of your unbelief. I'd say, that's impossible because when I laid hands on these kids, Jesus, I've milked myself. You think that I didn't reach inside and turn every cell inside out? You don't think I milked every fiber of my being to release into these children? I did. Nevertheless, he would stand firm. He'd say, because of your unbelief. Well, the next question, what would I do about it? He says, for if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, Mr. Roberson, see that mountain? You could move it to yonder place. And I want you to know you deal with that. And absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing shall be impossible to you. Nothing. The primary reason then that devil wouldn't come out is because of unbelief. When he analyzed what they was lacking for that mountain, he said, How be it, this kind cometh not but by prayer and the power to end fasting. I know what prayer has to do with unbelief. I know. The question is, what does fasting have to do with it? How, how does going without eating affect anybody's unbelief? Well, I found my answer in an unusual place. Very unusual. Because he wants to get me right to the answer here. I want you to go on down. The 10th verse, and I'm going to take the lighter pass on this 10th verse, and when I teach you again, I'll take the heavier pass. Because what you need to understand now is the principle. So we'll, we'll take the lighter, the lighter pass this time. Now, look at this verse closely with me. And the 10th verse says, and if Christ be in you, now let me ask you a question. 
Is there anybody in this room that he's not in? Hmm? If Christ be in you, that's me, that's you. Then you're qualified for the rest of this verse. Why? Because he's in me. He says, if he's in you, then you're existing in this state. This is what he's saying. You're existing in this state. If Christ be in you, he said, the body, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now what he's really saying here in this verse, that because your spirit has come alive with his new nature, that new nature supplies enough life to bring life to your flesh so that your flesh cannot dominate your spirit with sin or with unbelief. And in the 23rd verse of this same chapter, he eventually deals with our natural body, promising us the redemption of them. For he says, verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. That's, it. That's that new nature coming into my spirit because Christ is in me. He said, we ourselves grown within ourselves out of that new nature, waiting for the adoption to wit, meaning be made complete, and the adoption process of our sonship will be made complete at what? The redemption of our body. But meanwhile, it's the new nature and the righteousness we've been made that we're groaning out of. What kind of groaning is this? Well, I've got his nature in my spirit. And I, I'm here on this earth in this body. And it's capable. It's capable of things my spirit does not want to do. It's capable of worry. My soul, it's capable of sin. And then this new nature in me cries. It, it seeks for, for righteousness. My whole lump leavened, all three measures, spirit, soul, and body. And I see, and see the wars and the starving children and the sick children, the results of the curse living next door to me. I can't get in my car and go out and not see it. My righteous spirit, your righteous spirit, groaning, that groaning inside, that hurting for vindication. He says, us that have that first fruits, we groan out of the nature for the adoption process to be made complete when all the suffering will stop. And a millennial will come, and a new heaven and a new earth, and it'll be over. We groan because we're imprisoned in a body that wants to go, that wants to do things I don't want to do. We're waiting for the adoption process to be made complete. When? <laughs> At the redemption of my body. Meanwhile, he wants you to know, if Christ be in you, the, the position of sin not dominating your soul and your flesh has been taken by your spirit. 
If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, when we take that deeper swap, we'll give you the whole revelation of it, but right now I'm going to give you the fruit off of it. Now, what does he mean? The moment I was born again, my spirit entered into that life and sin lost its dominion over me because my old man was crucified with Christ and the man of sin was destroyed. Sin lost its dominion over me. That position my spirit took says that as far as my flesh is concerned, it might as well be dead because it does not have the power to reign over me anymore. And let me tell you why it does Mahatma Gandhi no good to fast in his days of fasting. Let me tell you why it did Buddha no good to fast. Because they didn't have a righteous spirit. Because there was no position for their body to be put into through their fasting. There was no position to render it dead by. So when they fasted, they just got hungry. It's not you. Not you. Because there's been a position afforded your flesh to be enforced, which is dead. Then fasting does you some good. Because the new nature of your righteous spirit says, that flesh doesn't have more power than I have. And I afforded a position for you. And when you fast, when you fast, you enforce that position of death that your flesh received when your spirit was born again. Now as faith people, we understand our position in Christ. I'm from above and not below. Uh, I'm a son of God. I, I'm seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We understand the position our spirit's been declared. Christ is in me. My spirit is life. Little s. My spirit's been born again. It's life because of righteousness. Oh, we understand that position. The position we hadn't understood is the position that our spirit's been given over our flesh, which is it's dead. It's been rendered dead. So we don't understand that. Therefore, we missed the power and the reason for fasting. We've always thought that our fasting has moved God. My fasting moved God. He's not the one stuck. Well, my fasting, as Isaiah 58 says, will cause God to hear my voice on high. No, it won't. But it will cause you to hear his voice on low. Because fasting doesn't make you any more righteous than you were. Praying doesn't give your spirit any more standing than it had when it was freed from sin. Everything that you can do cannot get you a position that cannot be earned, but they can enforce the grace that's already been given to you in Christ Jesus. This is not by works lest any man should boast, but He gave you these keys so you can forcefully enforce what He's made you so the things that should not be there can fall off and everything that He's made you can come forward. Oh, we haven't understood. 
So as our spirit is seated in a heavenly place with Christ Jesus at the same token, he's declared our body dead. He's rendered it a position of death. Now we have a, a position that can be enforced. Do Mahatma Gandhi any good? No. Do Buddha any good? Maybe he lost a little weight. Did it do Buddha any good? No, it didn't. Why? There was no position to execute. Fasting doesn't move God. It'll move you into a place to receive from him in what he's already doing. For how shall he, who spared not his own son, shall he not freely with him give you all things? What kind of insult is that? To think that you have to leverage God to give you something that he has already paid for. Listen. Now, the reason we've mistaken that our fasting moved God is because during a fast at times, God will move. Now, even though I may fast till he moves, it wasn't my fasting that moved God. My, my fasting aligned me up with what he was already doing. He'd like to give that to me two years ago. He said, no, my fasting doesn't move God. Well, I thought because he, no, I can fast until I do. Most of the time, I get what I'm asking for before I die. It wasn't because I moved him. It's because I lined up to receive something that was already available. So this is where we've been deceived. See? Many times that operation of the flesh sealings the operation of that new creation, sin-free, dominant, leavened first lump down on the inside of your spirit. Pregnant, leavened with God's nature. And he wants you to know that that nature is enough to put that flesh into its place. But here we live deceived year after year, our life sealing by flesh, bouncing off of it, can't seem to break through. So what happens? Somebody will preach on fasting. You can move God with your fasting. And this is what begins to happen. You start fasting, and your flesh starts dropping down. You start praying in the Holy Ghost, worshiping, confessing His Word, and your spirit rises in position while you kick the power twin in, and you're fasting. The dominance and sealing of the flesh is losing ground. Fast, pray, fast, pray, fast, pray, until the dominance of the flesh drops below the sealing of your spirit. You worry, yay, hallelujah, oh, this is great. And your flesh says, I'm not putting up with the wrestles. I'm back on top again. I'm going to keep fasting and pray. So it drops down below. And all of a sudden, that car you asked for last year, that raise, all those things starts coming in. Why? Not because you moved God, but the ceiling that was on your life because of the flesh drop below the operation of the Spirit and you received the answer. 
to your prayer. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now people become discouraged because they say a prophet's fast is a 40-day fast. And a lot of men of God have accomplished those kinds of fasts and usually their life is earmarked with power. Usually they do enter into a deliverance ministry. Why? No choice, because devils cry when they come into their presence. At times people will badger me about my fasting. They used to be able to badger an answer out of me. I just, I just don't care to give it anymore. Just don't care. None of that's important to me. Fasting's not important to me. Walking with him is. So they say, now, how long have you? In the early days, I would tell some preachers and things. And immediately, the idol worship comes, you know, immediately. You know, you go, oh, you did? <laughs> I quit doing that. And now I'm glad to preach as he's opened more up to me. I'm very glad to preach. And I'm actually ashamed to have to fast that much. Because if my flesh had that much a ceiling on me, I'm ashamed that it took those links to break where I released him just to the degree he's being released. I'm ashamed of it. If you can accomplish all that in three days, oh, for God's sake, I'm glad that your born-again experience was so powerful that it dominated immediately the other two measures of soul and flesh. I'm glad. I think that I was two feet in hell when I was saved. Holy Ghost, when he baptized me, he dived into my spirit and then he stuck his head up into my soul. Looked around for a minute and said, good thing I'm God. Short of me, nobody could help you. And dive back into my spirit. I can't believe the kind of guy I was. Until he rooted some of that out and showed me how I was in the past. To show me how free that I am becoming. Fasting's nothing to brag about. Trust me. When I see a ministry of absolute power that had none. <laughs> I want to get down and wash their feet. That they could take just the rebirth and walking in the Spirit. Just take those simple things and do so much. Hallelujah. So many times you'll get excited about fasting and kick a, you know, people will kick a 40-day in. This is where I got discouraged on my first longer fast. When I came off my first one, everything was great. I, I tramped off to a of camp meeting I was doing and the power was there and I was freer and full of joy and all that. It was great. And I went on my second one and it was my second one that got me under a magnifying glass. And then I went on my third one and it was halfway through that he brought me to a place I'd never walked before. I, I finally named the series that was born out of it, Peace, the Aggressive Weapon of God. Well, I almost got discouraged on my second longer one. I went into intercession. He brought me into an examination of the things he didn't like about me. 
I felt so hopeless standing in it that it produced my intercession. Because when you hate a problem as bad as God does, that's when you're releasing the faith to him that he needs to absolutely destroy that thing. As long as you tolerate it and love it, embrace and walk with it, what does he have to work with? As Isaiah 58 says, this is the fast he's chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to bring the naked into my house. He says, to feed the poor. And he went on to say, you hide not yourself from your own flesh. Because the day you decide to fast is the day that you decide not to hide from the things that are stopping you anymore. Because if God has to get them out where I hate them as much as he does, so be it. My second one. He got me under magnifying glass. By the third one, halfway through, I, I hated those things so bad. That he's able to set me free from the first level of them. He replaced them with peace. Unspeakable. The tornado could come up next to me. And it couldn't get in. But that started rippling through the rest of my ministry where this couldn't hurt people anymore. Preachers used to have me do things, especially in the areas of offerings that hurt people. In my death process, I just couldn't do that anymore. So it forced me to learn how to stand in an area I'd never stood in before. Because you can't take these people over here and go over here and, and use all kinds of schemes to get money out of them. And then go over here and get these people healed and saved. Because God isn't in hurting one group of people to get another group healed. You in the middle man, you're losing some reward, I can tell you right now. When he, he brought me under examination to show me some of the ugly things he didn't like about me. He displaced and replaced with peace. Can you explain how it feels? It must be his love. Because it freed me from torment and fear. I have no fear. I know that. I have no fear. I know that for positive. Just the other day he refined fear for me and torment as in perfect love casteth out. I just thought it was the overall things coming on the ministry and the fear of this and that and budgets and torment. I thought it was just in that area. There's an area more important than that. Sometimes you're next to somebody or your friends are close to you and they're quite ugly. They get real ugly. You react wrong. You react wrong, wrong, wrong to their ugliness. Why? Is their ugliness tap something in you that shouldn't be? You didn't operate then for their best. You operated in your own survival. You see, that kind of love that he called agape, the love, perfect love casts out fear, see, is the kind that in the presence of that you have no torment. You're absolutely free to minister to them as the Lord Jesus Christ would have you do so. And that's higher than your budget pressures. Because this whole thing is about people. Do you understand that? So my second one that I went under examination. 
But when I come out of that, not only had my life been examined, but I was in the intercession of those things dying. The most painful time of my life. I went out to do my next camp meeting. There was virtually no power on me. Oh man, I mean, I'd seen people just fall out in the groves. And then I walk out there, and everybody's just standing there, and they feel like an ironing board when I touch them. I'm pushing the Empire State Building. I panicked. <laughs> Pride, self-exaltation. Everything was online. Everything. <laughs> I just slipped my foot out behind them and trip them. So I, I almost, I mean, I had to fight it. Even my budget was destroyed. I had to fight with everything in me to not disclude fasting. I had to fight, I think, and maybe they're all right. Maybe they're right. What did I do? Some people say praying too much in tongues opens you up to the devil. Well, sure it does. He notices what you're doing and says you need to be stopped. Otherwise, just, just make your little old journey and see what you get at the end. They say, well, you can fast too much and get, well, you know, you can. Sometimes people crazy. That's the difference between Fasting and praying in tongues, you can't pray too much in tongues. Because he's taking the understanding of the gift away from you, so he's praying for what you need, and eventually that prayer will be answered. You think you need a Cadillac, he thinks you need to quit yelling at your wife. <laughs> I was about ready to adopt the, the popular teachings on fasting. Yes, three days is sufficient. Trust me, three days is sufficient. And the reason is that longer fast that he had, that, I, that I elected to go on because of my life was being pulled too much backwards. I elected to go on, not in the spirit. It was wonderful. It was my personal life that was being dragged backwards. I didn't like it. So I'm fasting now. Did I attain new all I did was reveal the flesh. I revealed what didn't please him. I didn't go on to finish. Because legalistically, we put days on our fasts. And that's just literally almost impossible in the gospel of grace. Even though it stands, sometimes you need to beat the flesh. In other words, you need to discipline yourself and put days on it. It, those days won't necessarily that you pegged to what you needed to do accomplish everything that needs to be accomplished as you would pertain needed to be accomplished. So I almost just got up and taught, you know what, you know, they're right, three days. <laughs> but I didn't. I bit my tongue and held on. I decided to go into another one. And that one only made it halfway through, and that's when the peace came. I gave him what he needed. Well, we've been teaching series fasting now. Now, in series fasting, that's when, uh, when you'll fast three days and then eat two, 
and then fast three and eat two, fast three, eat two, and fast three and eat two, and fast three and eat two, and that can be just as effective as long fasting. And I recommend that for jaw, for the kind where you can't pull yourself away or have any kind of strenuous labor. Because you're going to achieve eventually the same results. The reason people have become discouraged about fasting is because sometimes when they did a longer one, it didn't achieve what needed to be achieved in the flesh. So the answers they were looking for did not come, so they become highly discouraged. But when it comes to serious fasting, you can continue on as long as you want. Somebody says, is it moving God? No, it's not moving God. But one thing it will do, the level of unbelief you're walking in, you'll keep destroying it every week. You'll destroy it every week. Every week until the flesh drops down below the operation of the Spirit. And when it does, those things will begin to flow into you. It appears that we move God. That's where the deception is. That's why there's a lot of discouragement over longer fasts. Longer fasts, they'll help accomplish it. But just because you're not in a position to do a longer fast does not mean that you cannot accomplish the same thing. Because this whole thing is by grace. Do you hear me? So he said that you hide not yourself from your own flesh. Those things he didn't like about me, and I liked them even less. When he showed me through his eyes how ugly they were. I'm not a martyr. I'm not running around always, some guy dying and moping, feel sorry for yourself in the corner. I have more peace than I've ever had. I hear his voice like I'd never heard him. I have a mandate. I'm not a glutton for punishment. I'm not a martyr, always going somewhere to die. I'm always going somewhere to bring the life of Jesus. See, when I preach on mortification, it's mostly on the level of people needing to be free, and they know they need to be free. They're tormented and diseased. It's mostly on that level. It's not on the level of going on and getting the things behind you that will release you to help other people. Now, I'm no kind of martyr. Not a self-appointed. If I suffer martyrdom, trust me, it'll be at somebody else's hands. Trust me, well, he said that you hide not yourself from your own flesh. Well, this man came from another country. He set through a series that I had done on fasting. And so he had just completed a fast himself, a major fast, which you would qualify as a prophet's fast. And his wife, you know, his wife, they were having a lot of trouble. I mean, an awful lot of trouble. and She didn't like some of the things he was doing, and he didn't like her. And 
So he was over many, many preachers. I went to the country and preached to the preachers that he was over. And so he came to America. When he was here, he dropped in. I just happened to be doing a series. So he just went through a fast, a major prophet's fast. <laughs> when he got to the end of it, he hated himself. He hated everything. He hated it so bad he couldn't understand it. And in fact, he went and uh, he got rid of his wife. He divorced his wife and he picked him up one from an East Block country. He said she'll be more obedient. <laughs> he got rid of his wife. When I got done preaching, he comes and he says, you, you mean to tell me that all of that righteousness that I felt at the end of my fast was things coming out of me? I said, that's right. Now, what made your wife any different at the end of the fast than she was before you entered into it. She remained the same. You're the one that changed. You hated that. You hated yourself. You hated your failures. And you're blaming her. He goes, oh my God. He said, what do I do? I said, now that you hate that that's in you so bad, why don't you finish? You got faith to die now. You got faith to move it out of your life. You're looking through it through God's eyes when you loved it. What did he have to work with? Now, what are you after now, Brother Roberson? What am I after? I don't care about faithful things anymore. Not my things. I'm priority, no more. I don't even need that to prove to you that I have any. I have him. I have everything. I like those things. I'm not weird. But I know they have to be sanctified. I know that. You say, well, the same faith that gets them gets the other. Not necessarily. Anything you can go to this natural world and get, you can't necessarily get in the Spirit. You hear me? What do you want? What do you want? I, I want my flesh to drop down below the level that those ten kids needs it to drop down below. I want my flesh to drop down below the level that revival needs it to drop down below. I want my flesh to drop down below the level I can believe in millions of sets of walking in the spirit videos in the Indian dialect that we can send every preacher home with the study course. It doesn't matter where you find him. In Timbuktu, in the little village, nobody around him, he can begin his journey into everything Jesus said he could be. And I'm a hog. I want the reward. I'm a hog. That's what I want. And you want to know something else? Because it's available? I'll get it. Because now that I really know how much of Him that can be had, I know where my journey's going 
And now I know I have everything. I have everything. I've got Jesus to show me the way. I'll show you at the airport here. Stand up. I don't want to overload you.